Have you ever noticed how we as humans tend to rub off on one another fairly easily? The people that you spend a lot of time with, you over time maybe begin to talk like them, act like them, tell jokes like they do, maybe even dress the same. And this is super evident in kids, isn't it? As they're growing up, the people they spend a lot of time with, they begin to kind of copy and emulate what they see and what they hear. You know, uh, we have a, a three-year-old at home, and, and right now he uh, does this very weird thing in which if he's ever frustrated with something, he lets out this noise. And it's kind of odd, and he's been doing this for about a month now, and my wife, Diane, and I kept kind of asking each other, where is this coming from? This is kind of weird, isn't it? And so but like two weeks ago, my, my wife was gone with the kids that were at the store, and so I was, I was uh, taking apart my cell phone because that's a super good idea, and you should always do that for fun. And, uh, and, I, and I had like gotten these, those tiny little screws mixed up, and I was trying to get it in, and, and I just couldn't, and it wasn't quite working, and the screen wouldn't get down, and I was just like, oh, this is frustrating, and then I was like, oh, oh, oh. And so then a few days later, we're driving in the car, and uh, my son, Jude, he's all like, we're going to go to Grammy's house. And I said, no, we're, we're going somewhere else. And he goes, oh, I want to see Grammy. And then Diana just looks at him, she goes, where is he getting this from? I said, I think it's from you. Like, I don't, I don't think it's from me. I think. And then I had to repent and ask for forgiveness. And all. But it's interesting, right? The, the, the kids, they, they kind of pick up on things. And, It's weird, though, that you never have to teach kids how to be mean, right? Like, they just naturally come out selfish. Every toy, everything in the house is is mine. You don't have to teach them how to push people over, how to get their way, cry and throw fits. But what you do have to teach them, you have to teach them how to be nice. You have to teach them how to share. It's kind of interesting that if you and I reflected on our own lives, if we were a little bit introspective, we would probably say the same as a little for us, even as adults. That what naturally comes out of us usually isn't uh, the best stuff. That if we just reacted to every moment and situation that we came across, we'd probably say, yeah, I'd want to redo on that one. I definitely want to try that one over. I think what we tend to do is we tend to focus on what comes out rather than what's beneath the surface in our lives. We tend to focus on the symptoms, not the source, to use a medical term. That when my son Jude, when he uh, gives that gut of frustration that's like four octaves lower than his normal register, hey buddy, don't do that, don't do that. Instead, I should probably say, hey, what's frustrating you? When I maybe snap in a moment of anger or, or, or there's a little bit of jealousy that, that, that reaches its way into my heart and I say something I don't mean, it's probably better to say, man, I really need to see what is causing that. Whether it's anger, guilt, greed, jealousy, I think we can all say that there are things that naturally live in our hearts. We wish they weren't there or weren't nearly quite as strong as they are at times. And that's what this series is really all about. We're talking about the enemies of our heart. We're looking at the source that produces many of the things that I think we might say, you know, that creates a lot of problems in my life. It creates a lot of tensions. Relationships have been ruined because of what is beneath And so we're talking about the heart this whole series. And when we talk about heart, we're not talking about just your thumper. We're talking about this. 
the heart. It is of the center of the physical, emotional, and spiritual life as humans. You see, the Bible tends to refer to the heart more than just a physical organ, but it's kind of like the control center of your life. That the emotions, the passions, the desires, the gut reactions, the Bible tends to use that phrase, it all stems from the heart. King Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 23, For as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. The heart's kind of like the control center of our lives. It reminds me of that animated film, Inside Out. I don't know if you've, if you've seen it, but it's this movie in which there's this young girl, and she's got these emotions that are, are running in, in, in her mind, I think it is, and they're all vying for control. And sometimes the, the anger guy takes control, or the joy, or the sadness. And sometimes it's an appropriate response, and other times it's not the right place for that emotion to come out. So what we're going to hopefully show over this series is that the heart is the root of many of the tensions and problems we face in this life. And if that's the case, then your heart is exactly where God wants to do most of his work in your life. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the prophet of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is found in the Old Testament. The Bible is broken into two major parts. We have the Old Testament, and then we have the New Testament. The Old Testament is about the ancient people of God, the Israelites, and how they were set aside to love God, to honor God, to live under covenant, and to be the salt and light of the earth. Then we have the New Testament, which introduces us to Jesus and the restoration and the redemption of our life with him. And so we have the book of Jeremiah. It's about this prophet by the name of Jeremiah. He's this young guy selected by God to go to the nation of Judah. Now, at this time, the people of God, the Israelites, they're actually split into two factions. You had a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. You had Israel and Judah because of some strife of the Davidic line that was leading them. And so God kind of sees what's happening. He sees this unfaithfulness in the nation of Judah. And he says, all right, Jeremiah, young whippersnapper, I need you to go to the people. I need you to tell them, give them what's up. You need to, let's try to straighten some things out here. Now, Jeremiah is called a prophet. In the Old Testament, when you see the word prophet, you shouldn't instantly think about future telling. Rather, prophets were chosen to go to people on God's behalf and say, here's how it is. Here's what's broken. Here's not what's working. It's somewhat of a proclamation or an exhortation of how a people have been living. If you remember back to our long story short series, when we talk about the, the storyline, uh, the mountain of scripture, so to speak, where we're nearing the top of the mountain, this tension of sin is seemingly growing stronger and bolder than it has ever before. And so Judah, he, or Jeremiah, he goes to Judah and he just kind of says, all right, guys, you just, you just haven't really been doing that good. You guys are, are not being faithful to God. You're chasing after false religions. You're listening to your heart and not to God's will. Essentially, I, I'm here to tell you some bad news. And this bad news is, well, you've broken your covenant with God. The covenant was fairly simple. The covenant that God had said was, if you obey me and my commands, you will be my people and I will be your God. Be set apart, follow my ways, and live under this rule. And they just kind of toss that aside for year after year, decade after decade, century after century. And Jeremiah comes in with this news. 
Because this problem, guys, it's, it's kind of getting worse. And we're going we're gonna to dive in to see why it keeps getting worse in your lives. But just know there will come a time in which God will provide a new answer, a new shepherd, a Messiah, who we know today to be Jesus. And he will change all of this permanently by the restoration of your hearts. You know, whenever I think about the, the Old Testament stories and the prophets, I always kind of step back and say, you know, why couldn't they figure this out? I mean, God proved over and over again how just he was and how faithful that, that there was Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. The, he led them out of Egypt under the oppression of Pharaoh. He took care of them for 40 years wandering in the desert. He still gave them the promised land. When the enemies were coming and fighting them, God provided protection. What is with these people? Why can't they just be faithful to God just one time and just stick with it? And then I kind of, oh, shoot, well, that's probably the same story of my faith, that if, if we wrote down the history of Eric's faith, people would probably say the same thing. Well, Eric, God's been faithful to you. He's blessed you. He's taken care of you. Why do you seem to lose heart and chase after things other than him? Jeremiah chapter 12, he kind of opens up the issue, starting in verse 1. Jeremiah says, you are always righteous, Lord. When I bring a case before you, yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? You have planted them and they have taken root. They grow and bear fruit. You are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. You know me, Lord. You see me and test my thoughts about you. The prophet kind of starts this complaint. God, I don't get you. You continue to love them. You continue to pursue them. You continue to chase after them, even though things don't seem to be lining up. Verse 2 is kind of a doozy there. Perhaps you can relate. That God, you are on their lips they're saying the right things. They are, are doing the right things, but their hearts are far from you. It begs the question, what's more important in this life? What we say, what we do, or is it our hearts? Because in some ways, that's what Israel is saying. Well, it doesn't really matter what our hearts think. It doesn't really matter the state of our hearts, because as long as I just kind of say and do the right things, that's all that God's really after, Right? And Jeremiah's just kind of looking at them as like, even if that was the case, what's coming out isn't really lining up with where God wants you to live. And so what is more important in this life? Our actions, our words, or is it our hearts? Scholar Charles Spurgeon, he put it this way. He said, God requires soul worship, but men give body worship. God asks for the heart, and they present him with their lips. He demands their thoughts and their minds, and they give him in return banners and vestments and candles. Men have asserted that their sins are merely accidents of man's position. But the Savior says they come out of one's heart. The offenses are not of the head, but the heart and its unholed affections. How true is that of your life? When I hear those words and I reflect on my own walk with Jesus, 
who I naturally am as a human, I'm like, yeah, that's it. Sometimes I talk the talk, sometimes I walk the walk, but if my heart isn't in it, it's only a matter of time until what is actually in here is going to come out. And so Jeremiah and God, they're making this monumental statement that everything in this life, it all starts with the heart. That you need to protect it, you need to guard it, you need to care for it. However, the heart by itself is not a good thing. That's why God says, come to me, give me your heart. Let me change your heart because everything else will fall in line. It's kind of contradictory, though, to what the world says about our hearts, right? Maybe you've heard one of these phrases before. Maybe there's someone who's trying to make a decision, and you give them the device. Well, I, I don't know what, 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 I don't know, if should I go left, should I go right? Well, I don't know, just listen to your heart. Man, I'm in this pickle. I really just don't know what to, they both kind of seem equal. I'm not really sure. Just follow your heart. Someone does something that maybe you, you disagree with or kind of spurn you the wrong way. Well, you know, he, she, they, they've got a good heart. Well, you know, she kind of messed up. He, he, did, he didn't really mean it. Bless his heart. <laughs> you know, that last one's not so much of a good thing if someone ever tells you to that your face, right? See, what the world says about our hearts, the world wants to say, your heart is pure, your heart is good, your heart is just. Listen to your heart, follow your heart. It will never, ever, 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 ever in a million, billion years, your heart, it'll never lead you astray, right? And Scripture <laughs> says literally the exact opposite. Look at how Jeremiah continues and talking about the heart of Judah, and I think our hearts as well. You skip over to chapter 17. He says, the heart is amazing and awesome. And oh, wait, sorry. No, no, no. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and examine the mind to reward each person according to their conduct, according to what their deeds deserve. And then Jeremiah, if you skip over to chapter 18, recounts how Israel respond to that news. In verse 11, it says, Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says, Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. And then Israel replies with, but they will reply, it's no use. We will continue with our own plans. We will follow the stubbornness of our own evil hearts. Man, that's fun, isn't it? You guys want to read that again? See, I don't, I don't think Israel was probably very verbose and specific about their plans. I don't think Israel said, hey, God, we know that you're all-powerful. We know that you're loving. We know that you care for us. We remember all the ways in which you have provided and taken care of us and our ancestors when we were, there was that famine and there was, there was that time in Egypt and then we were lost and then those bad guys were coming in and you took care of them. You know, God, you're just so amazing. You know, but, but, but you know, we, we, we just kind of decided we're not going to follow your heart, God. We're going to listen to our own instead. I think God and Jeremiah are just like, 
Are you kidding me? We've been over this. We, we, we've gone through this cycle so many times. How much clearer do we need to be? And Jeremiah, he says, your hearts, they're not good. They're not pure. Your hearts are, they're deceitful. It's a word that means torturous. It's a word that means uh, crooked, like a, like a broken road that nobody wants to walk or drive on. So your hearts, naturally, in their state, they are beyond cure. They're incurable. It's like you woke up and you had stage four cancer and there's nothing you could do about it. That is the state of your hearts. It's not good news. It's the harsh reality that we all live with. Our hearts are not straight. Naturally, they are crooked. We cannot trust them. Our hearts, they are beyond cure which means they lead us to things of death, not things of life. If I were to sum it up, I'd put it this way. Our hearts are doomed. <laughs> Our hearts naturally want to lead us towards sin, towards brokenness, away from God. And God is simply standing back and asking us all the same question. Do you want to follow my heart or your own? Because your heart, deceitful, it is beyond cure. My heart is perfect, holy, and good. Our point is this. Is that our hearts need work. If you were to take a few moments to reflect on the state of your heart, it probably wouldn't take very long to see that it needs a little bit of work needs to be changed into who God wants you to be. You ever uh, just listen to your heart and regret the outcome? I'm not just talking about it in a romantic sense. I'm talking about when your heart says, go ahead and lash out. It's going to be okay. Go ahead and, and, and hold on to that bitterness and don't forgive that person. You know, it's okay. You can say those words about him or her because they're not here. And, and, and really, you know, if they never find out, it's all good. It's all okay. You ever just listen to what your heart naturally wants to urge you and then end up regretting what happened? Our hearts say, go ahead and be angry with someone. But you can only smile through those gritted teeth for so long. Our hearts say, go ahead and be jealous of someone and what they have. But I bet those kind words won't last forever. Our hearts say, go ahead and just hang on to this guilt. Because you're worthless. You've got some greedy tendencies. But it's okay, go ahead and feed them because it feels good. Our hearts, they're They're, they're broken. They're not whole, they're crooked, they're disastrous, they're mean, they're easily distracted. They convince us what they know is right, to be right. And God is saying, no, no, it's the exact opposite. Our hearts are clogged. We need to be opened up, and they need to be changed. So, so let me ask you, where is your heart clogged the most? 
If you're like me, it's probably clogged in a few areas, but where is your heart clogged the most? If you went to the doctor and the doctor said your heart is a little bit clogged, what would you say? Well, hey, can you, can you help me out? Can you help me take care of this clogging issue? That'd be, that's kind of why I'm here, doc. But what sin and Satan want to tell you is they want you to live in a lie. They want to tell you that, that your heart is clogged, but as long as you keep what is clogging your heart beneath the surface, it's okay. As long as it just, it, oh, it just slipped up that one time, okay, don't worry, just try a little bit harder this time. Oh, but became, okay, you know what, just, you know, it was just, you know, that person kind of got under your skin a little, just try to keep it beneath the surface. And we began to live with this lie that, that as long as I keep it under control, then everything is okay. And so what's sin and saying, they say, no, no, go ahead, feel anger. Go ahead and, and live in that jealousy. Don't forgive people. Hold on to that guilt because you know what, that kind of, that's, that's really just who you are. And this gets tiring, doesn't it? Because everything that is in our hearts will eventually come out. But what Satan wants you to live with is a lie. And the lie is this. Is that I can have whatever I want in my heart as long as I keep it beneath the surface. Here's what I know to be true, though. It's not oftentimes one thing. It's multiple things. And before we know it, we're going through life trying to hold all of these things down and say, don't worry, God, I got this. Everything's fine. I love you. You're so good. And beneath, we're like, this is exhausting. This is tiring. This hurt, this brokenness. I don't want to hold on to this anymore. God, somebody please help me. And then Satan says, no, 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 it's cool, it's cool, it's cool. Just hold it, but just keep it. You're, you're doing really good, man. Just You can have whatever you want in your heart as long. And then finally, one, one of them just slips. Okay, no, it's cool, cool. That was just, I, I'm so sorry. Forgive me, it's cool. And then we have these other things. And, and one by one, they start to rise to the surface, and we act like, what happened? I thought I had it all under control. And that's when Jeremiah is saying, what's beneath the surface in your heart is going to come out. The heart is important. We all need new hearts. I bet the nation of Judah and Israel kept telling themselves, you know, it's cool. It's just, it's just this one time. This unfaithfulness, this lack of worship, this desire. It's just a symptom. I don't need to worry about the source. It's what I tell myself when I hear my three-year-old verbally express frustration. Oh, I will just take care of that some other time. It's not really that big of a deal. the people of God then, and us, the people of God now, we need to hear and understand the same thing, that our hearts come clogged. They come full of sin. They come full of enemies that will try to constantly work their way to the surface. And the, the Satan that works against us wants you to live with that lie. Just It's okay to have those clogs just Hold it down beneath the surface as best you can. 
And God says, no, no, no. Let me give you a new heart that resembles mine. You might be asking yourself, well, how do I get that new heart? What does that look like? Well, join us next week as we all get a little bit of open heart surgery. As we move to a time of response, I, uh, I don't want to just completely leave this open-ended. Because some of you are, are literally sitting here saying, God, you are speaking to me. That this message is exactly what God wanted you to hear this morning. And so the, the truth is the same for all of us, that everything in our life starts in the heart. How we live, how we act in relationships, how we respond, how we manage our home, how we manage our friendships, how we make decisions. You can go on down the line. Everything in our life comes from the heart. And God looked at our hearts and he saw that they were clogged. They were eternally doomed. They were broken. They were far from him. And he says, I'm going to fix that once and for all. And the way I'm going to fix that is I'm going to send my son, Jesus. He will come to earth. He will live a perfect life. He will be the only one. His heart will be pure. His heart will be perfect. His heart will not be clogged. But he will die on a cross. He will go to a grave. And he will raise three days later to show triumph over that clogging, to show triumph over that sin, to show triumph over that enemy who tries to get us to live in these lies that just create destruction and chaos all throughout our lives. God says, I will send my son Jesus and he will provide a way in which you don't have to live with a clogged heart anymore. That anyone who expresses faith in my son because of my love, because of my grace, because of my mercy, he will satisfy my wrath. He will satisfy my justice. Now you just come close to me. And I will take that broken heart. I will take that clogged heart. I will take that sinful heart and I will replace it with my sons. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some work. That eternally that heart is yours. That you get to have new life yet again. of my grace and because of the work of Jesus. You see, what God doesn't say is he doesn't say, who out there wants a new heart? And everyone's kind of like, yeah, I think that's something I would be interested in. All right, here's the deal. I'm going to create this box. And as long as you live in this box and you do exactly what I say, you, you live, you know, you do these religious things and you check all these marks and, and you do these things and you avoid those things and you don't go there and you don't say those things and you make sure you, you just be a good little Christian boy or girl and you put on a happy face and you put on a mask and pretend your life is absolutely fine and perfect. If you live in this box, then I will give you a new heart. No, 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 God says the exact opposite. He says, I know none of you can stay in a box. None of you can live up to the purity that I am, to my goodness, to my love. But I'm going to come for you anyways. Don't worry about the box. There is no box. 
There is only my love. And it is freely for you, should you choose to receive it. In the repentance of your sin and in the faith of Jesus Christ. God says, once you receive that heart, just do me one thing. Love me back with the new heart that I have given unto you. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we worship you. We worship your truth. We worship you in spirit because your spirit is with us. Your spirit is in us. Your spirit is alive. It, it convicts us. It leads us. There are times in which we do not follow what it says. There are times in which we need to figure out what it says. But ultimately, you are there in your love. It never leaves us. It never forsakes us. It makes us whole yet again that those of us, when we have our dead hearts, you give us a new one, that we have this hope and this freedom that you alone give. God, may we begin to live out day after day, moment by moment, relationship after relationship, decision after decision. May we live with that new heart that you give to us through your son, Jesus. It's your name that we pray. Amen. As we continue to worship this morning, we want to invite you to respond to that newness of heart that you can find in Jesus. One of the ways is through communion. There are stations all throughout the room, and as the band leads us in a few more songs, whenever you're ready, whenever you feel led, if you have received that new heart in Christ, we invite you to approach one of those tables. Remember the body of Christ that was broken for you, that little cracker and the blood of Christ that was spilt for you through that little juice. Remember this morning how Jesus has given you his heart in exchange for yours. Perhaps there is something weighing heavy on your heart. We invite you to come forward and you can kneel at the prayer benches here and you can just pray before God during these songs. God, take this anger. God, I give you this jealousy. God, what do I do with this guilt? May I forgive that person? May I have the courage, may I have the boldness to live in how your heart has changed me? You can respond by giving back to God with your tithes and offerings this morning as well. They're given respond boxes across the room. So as the band gets ready to lead us in this first of these last couple songs, it's a song that we introduced on Friday called Here Again. This is magnificent chorus, this magnificent anthem that talks about how we have been awakened by the power of the Spirit. That these dry bones have been given life. I think some of you might need to hear that this morning, that you walked in these doors and you sat in a chair and you felt completely dry. You felt completely empty. That you're not proud of this week this month, this year. You're not proud of this morning, maybe. You know, you, you got the kids in the car. Come on, we're going to go to church. and We're going to have fun. It's going to be awesome. You walk in, my heart, my soul is just, it's just dry. And this song leads us to remember and to live that truth that the Spirit of God awakens what was once dead. And it's this, this word, this phrase, here I am again. Because God is here. God is with you wherever you go. And so this morning, God is saying, I am leaning in. 
I am ready for you to respond. I am willing to, to breathe into this life. I am willing to take away that dryness of your bones, the callousness of your hearts because of my son Jesus. I am ready and willing to do this. I am here again waiting for you to respond.